You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you um, are the Word and you are the Word made flesh. And we thank you, Lord, that in you there is life um, because of your death on our behalf. And so even now as we embark on this intense season, on this season of, um, of joy uh, on the outside of parties and gifts and um, singing and uh, decorations and all of the things outside that are so externally seen as being a sign of joy and happiness. Um, Lord, we ask that you would also tend to our hearts, that even if our hearts fail within us, even if we are dismayed or discouraged during the season, even if we are harried and anxious, we ask, Lord, that you would be the one to comfort us. We ask, Lord, that you would be the one, by the power of your cross and resurrection, to strengthen us from the inside out, to be able to continue to worship you in the way we live our lives, and the way we serve others in our lives. And we ask this for your glory's sake and in your name. Amen. I'm going to just pull this out so I can have a little more. Well, so I, um, I'm surprised that it's already time for this event, just because December 1st seems a little early to me. Um, and don't worry, but Christmas is coming sooner than you think. Christmas is early. This, everything is early this year. So, um, so I was a little bit surprised to say, oh, yes, here we go, here we go. Well, um, in thinking about what, um, what the Lord wanted to bring to us this morning, I was really, I, I kept thinking about snow. And so I um, couldn't help but think of that wonderful Dean Martin song, right? Though the weather outside is frightful, the fire is so delightful. And since we have no place to go, let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. I'm not a big fan of secular Christmas carols, but I actually really love that one for some reason. It gets in there, and the way he croons so wonderfully, it just, it just, I say, yes, yes, that's right, let it snow. Who knows what's going to happen? Let it snow. Well, when I first moved to Birmingham, now over five years ago, I was wonderfully surprised to learn that there would be seasons here because I, I hadn't done enough research about my new home before packing up all of my earthly belongings in Massachusetts, fitting them into an eight foot by eight foot pod, um, and then driving uh, 20 hours to come and move here in my tiny Toyota Corolla. Because I knew that God was calling me here, I didn't worry about what the weather was like. I didn't learn enough about my new home. I think because I just knew God was calling me and he would work it out. Well, so you can imagine that this northern girl was delighted when October came around and the leaves began to start changing color. Not in early October, but in late October, but that was okay. And I was even more delighted that first year when the weather finally got what I would call cold by the end of December. And you can imagine then in January when there were a few tiny flakes of snow, I was ecstatic. <laughs> because you see, I love snow. I love, love, love snow. I love how snow transforms a landscape. I love how snow highlights every twig on every tree, making even what might seem like an industrial city scene look clean. I love how each flake of snow is uniquely crystallized. Just one example 
of the many ways in which God delights to make his creation so intricate, so specialized. I love, too, that quiet hush as the snow is falling, that hush that deadens all the sounds. When I was a child growing up in Pittsburgh, I loved bundling up and going outside with my siblings to sled and to make snow forts. And I loved then, too, the feeling of being warmed on the outside with so many layers on, but still having a cold nose. And of course, the worst part, or the best part about being a little bit too cold is that then you can come back inside and warm up by fire with a warm beverage. So I loved snow as a, as a child, and I loved it then again as a teenager in Boston, because throughout all that time, throughout high school, throughout college, throughout seminary, I loved those snow days, as I'm sure we all still, maybe you don't love snow days if suddenly your four children are at home demanding your undivided attention. <laughs> but I still, part of me loves snow days. And I love snow days because I love that surprise of um, getting to sleep in. I love having a break that I hadn't planned for. You can tell that I don't have school children yet. Um, I loved those breaks because unlike other planned breaks from school, I rested. I would play instead of trying to catch up or get ahead on my schoolwork. Well, I love snow and I love just about everything it brings. But if for a moment I were to take off my rose-colored glasses, and yes, I usually look at the world through rose-colored glasses. I want to make the most out of everything. But if I take off my rose-colored glasses about snow, if I were to call a thing what it is, so to speak, then I must admit, snow, despite all of its beauty, is in fact deadly. Uh, just being out in the snow, especially driving, is dangerous, as we all know. On October 31st, 2011, the year before I moved to Birmingham, Massachusetts saw such a huge snowstorm. It, was, um, the, it had been a very warm fall, and so the leaves were all still on the trees. Um, they hadn't fallen off yet, and so when there was a heavy, heavy snow, what happened was that the snow weighed down on every branch and every twig, and there were more trees down, um, falling onto power lines, falling everywhere than you would normally expect. And that Saturday was the day when there was an ordination scheduled at my parents' church down in Connecticut. And it was just a two-hour drive from where I lived in Massachusetts, down the highway to Connecticut. And I would, I would make that trip often. And it, I had it down pat. It was memorized. It was easy. It was a well-beaten path for me. And so I thought, I really wanted to go to that worship service and support the person being ordained. And I thought, I'm going to just do it. It's two hours there. It's two hours back. I know how to drive in snow. And besides that, I have a Jeep. And when you have a Jeep, you think that you're superhuman in the snow. But a Jeep with bald tires is worse than any normal car in the snow. I wouldn't find out until later in that winter when my car kept skidding out that it was, um, it was because of my bald tires. So it was snowing lightly that morning when I started to leave Amherst, Massachusetts. And the roads, even the highways, were not that slippery. By the time I um, got down to the worship service and the worship service was over, there had been a full foot of snow that had fallen on the roads. My parents naturally encouraged me to spend the night with them, don't go back. But the next day was Sunday, and as the pastor of a small congregation, I knew that it was up to me to preach and lead worship the next morning, and I didn't want to let my little church down. So I climbed back into my trusty Jeep, and I hurried north. The snow plows couldn't clear the snow uh, as quickly as it was falling. And because it was so heavy and wet, um, there was good that there wasn't much ice. 
but, um, but it just was uh, so deep that they couldn't get rid of it as quickly as they needed to. I drove, um, I had to drive only at, at most 40 miles an hour, even on the highway, which was blanketed in snow, so much so that there was only one track, only one lane was open, one track um, of cars going in one single file line down the highway. And I kept skidding out again and again. So my, walking, my knuckles were white, holding on to the steering wheel. And at one point, I remember I veered so dangerously that I even turned 180 degrees into the, you know, facing the oncoming traffic. I almost hit the median, but thankfully I didn't. And I was able to back up and um, get right back on the road without any kind of accident. I prayed a lot on that dangerous, long drive. Six hours after leaving my parents' house, I finally exited the highway, and my gas tank was on empty. You know, I hadn't gotten gas because I thought I would be able to make it in good time, and because I didn't know if I'd be able to get back on the highway once I got off to fill up my tank. And so normally, then, it would take me only 15 to 20 minutes to drive from the highway exit to my home, but that night, it took me over two hours. I went to try to go to the gas station and to fill up my tank. I was waiting in line because everybody had the same idea that I'd had. And it was about to be my turn. There were these college students that had parked their car right at the pump so that they could go into the gas station to get whatever beverage or treat that they wanted. And because it was Halloween, it was so surreal. They were all dressed up in the all manner of costume. And you know how college students get with Halloween. It's like, it was really weird. And, and um, they find, I'm sitting there. I was wanting to curse them in my head. I'm praying, Lord, you know what's going to happen. I don't know. Please bring them back as soon as possible. They come back out, and as soon as they come back out, about to get in their car to move it so I could get to the pump and pump some gas, then there was this big loud crack and a green flash, and the power went out. A tree had clearly fallen on the power line. And so um, I tried another gas station, but the power had already gone out at that gas station. And so I didn't know what to do. I just thought, okay, I'm just gonna try to inch my way home. Even if my car runs out of gas, I could still walk at that point and walk home. And so I tried three different roads to try to get to my house, which was up a hill. The first had a power line across the whole road, and I didn't know if it was a live wire or not, so I thought better not to tempt fate. And then the second road had such a big tree blocking the road that there was no way um, the few of us that were surrounding there could even move it. The third road had a line down on part of the road, but I was able to, able to navigate around it. So I finally got home at 1 o'clock in the morning, and I collapsed in my apartment. I was exhausted, but I was so grateful to be safe. That year, I remembered that the beauty and the majesty of snow are matched by its deadliness. I think about the way snow works in nature, too, because that cold snow is deadly in the way that it affects all of creation. We know as winter approaches, the birds flee, trees shed their leaves, bears hibernate, other mammals will grow extra fur, reptiles even, I didn't know this, slow down their body processes so that they can survive a long winter. And of course, my favorite, the insects die off. In the, <laughs> in the hopes that then their cocooned offspring will carry on the species come spring. We might be sad, of course, to see our gardens die off and go dormant, but I know we're all glad to know that the cold kills off that generation of mosquitoes. So I see snow there as a sign placed within creation that points to the way in which God works. 
first in the story of our salvation, and then also in our hurting and broken lives from day to day. In its hush and its stillness, I would say that snow is like the three days in the tomb, those three days where Jesus is dead, 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 really dead. He really died. When I was in seminary, I'll never forget our own Paul Zoll state clearly what I'd always felt was intuitively true, that there can be no Easter celebration without Good Friday, and that even we must dwell there and linger on Good Friday and on that Holy Saturday. When we really stop, when we really pause to enter in, we join in then with the questions and the doubts that the first disciples must have asked. When we really stop like that, we recognize the depths of God's love for us, that his death for us really did happen, really in human history, and that all of creation during those three days 2,000 years ago must have felt suspended. It must have felt as if everything was holding its breath. It must have been a, a, a deep and dark moment to wonder if we didn't know the happy, victorious ending to the Christian story, what would it be like? Rather than saying that Jesus' death is just a brief, sad pause on the way to glory, and we only pause there as we're going straight on to glory, just like a rolling stop that you'll get in trouble with with the police. No, Jesus' death on the cross is a full stop. By submitting fully to death, Jesus took on what was rightfully ours. He took on our sin. He took on our death. And for those who are joined to Jesus through faith in him, we know, too, that the cross marks the death of our old self. The cross there is like a deadly snow blanketing the landscape. And I would say, too, that in the way in which the cross brings a fresh, clean start for us, then also snow is like the death of our old self, that old self that dies with Jesus there. As St. Paul says in Romans 6, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And again, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. Paul goes on also, in 2 Corinthians, to describe why it is that he ministers self-sacrificially. He says, one has died for all, and therefore all have died. And Jesus, he died for all so that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. When Paul also, to the Colossians, urges a different way of living for Christians, he tells them, Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Jesus dies, our old self dies. It's like a snowfall blanketing the landscape. And yet I would say that same self, that old self, even as that self is dead, eternally dead, um, dead um, like a chicken with its head cut off. It still runs around the barnyard. It still lingers on in this life. And that old self brings sin, brings destruction, and brings death. 
One theologian writes, The cross story sets free the bound human will. We see in the death of Jesus our death. And we remember that we are dust. We can begin to take the truth. We learn dying. The cross destroys the wisdom of the wise. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That marks the parameters of our story as far as human possibility is concerned. We see, as, Le- as Luther puts it, the way things really are. We look at all things through the suffering of the cross. We live only on the strength of the fact that the Creator breathed his, dust, his spirit into the dust and then gave us life. We live here and now on borrowed time, time that is lent to us, by the Creator. Coming to faith in Jesus, indeed, it pushes the restart button on our whole being. Old ways of living die out as our lives are reoriented around kingdom priorities. This kind of spiritual death can be painful. Um, we might, it's painful to say no sometimes to what we really want, even when we know that what we really want is just selfish as part of the old self rearing its ugly head. And so I'd say snow is like this death of ourself. So too also, just as we die in this life because Jesus died for us, we also experience more pain, pain and suffering that is not directly tied to our personal sin, but it's more of a fact, uh, more of a result of the fact that there is sin generally in the world. So in the same way, I would say that unexpected weather like the snow, tends to derail all of our plans for a given day. So too, suffering or sickness can freeze up our hopes and our dreams for how we imagine our life going. I know a couple who spent their whole life working hard, both of them. They both worked full-time their whole lives, even as they raised their three children. And they finally retired in their mid-60s. And would you know, within a year, the husband was diagnosed with Parkinson's. They had plans for their retirement, and their plans had to be left behind. They had to let go of the way they had imagined their retirement going. Well, whether we suffer from Parkinson's or it's something more low-grade like insomnia, whether we suffer from stage four breast cancer or debilitating morning sickness, addiction, or whether we suffer from an eating disorder, whether we've experienced financial setbacks or just termites, whether we are nurturing a chronically sick child or a defiant but declining elder. We each experience the curse that is upon all of creation because of sin. This kind of suffering, this suffering that we would never choose for ourselves or for our loved ones, amounts to a series of little deaths, death to the way we would choose to have our lives go. So what do we do? (laughs) Deborah, where's the good news? We came here for a hopeful message. (laughs) What do we do when we feel buried by an avalanche of dramatic sorrows or just overwhelmed by the simply uh, unending tasks of each day? First and always, we turn back to the cross. There at the cross, not only is Jesus dying, but we see our own sin dying with our dying Savior. Jesus was truly dead, dead, dead but he is also miraculously alive. 
The grave did not have the final word upon Jesus. There at the moment, the darkest moment, when all seemed lost, God was actually working powerfully on our behalf. At the seemingly lowest point of all creation, God was bringing about the forgiveness of sins. The hush, the stillness of death, like a deadening blanket of snow, has fallen. Um, and it, falled, uh, it fell and it was fallen and it was followed by the loud brightness of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. All creation must have sung as our Savior rose from the dead, just the way songbirds fly, black, fly back home at the end of a cold winter to sing their songs and to make their nests. Because of this, we can trust that in our lowest moments in this life, when God seems furthest from us, the cross reminds us that God still loves us and that he is somehow working out his good and perfect will in our lives. Paul writes again, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, even though some of those things might not seem good at the time. Sometimes, in, even though we know that, it might seem as though the suffering of this life will get the best of us, as though it will continue on and on until we meet our maker face to face. But again, turning to the words of one of my favorite theologians, he writes, we live on borrowed time, time lent to us by the creator. Yet, yet we also see in the death of Jesus, not just our death, um, our rebellion against that life, but we note also now that there is absolutely no way out except one. So the question and the hope comes to us. If we die with him, shall we not also live with him? That is the end of the story for the time being, but it is the beginning of faith. Even though we experience suffering and death in this life, we also experience new life, resurrection life, a foretaste of the joys of eternity. Paul again speaks of suffering, saying that we are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. In one of my favorite children's books, in C.S. Lewis's Chronicles of Narnia, the four Pevensey children enter a magical, snowy world by accidentally falling through a magical wardrobe, as you probably know. And they soon learn that the snowscape is under a curse, that it would be always winter, but never Christmas. And as soon as the savior in that world, the lion Aslan, begins to appear, uh, the children run into these woodland animals who are celebrating Christmas. Um, and they celebrate, although they're still hushed, out of fear for the wicked white witch. Well, if we never suffered in this life, then we might not be able to fully appreciate the redemption that God wrought for us. Um, the joys of eternity would seem like our just desserts if we didn't know the reality of our own sin and the pain of other people's sin. If it was always Christmas, 
and never winter, we would not realize how desperately we need the grace of God. Winter, then, and the snow that it brings points to the reality of sin, suffering, and death in this life. Those things that can freeze us in our tracks, those things that slow us down, those things that derail our own plans, those things that remind us that we are not superhuman gods. Again, we might want to avoid these things and live a totally carefree life, but if we hold on to the bedrock truth of God's love for us in Jesus Christ, then, by God's grace, we can face these things without fear. Again, the words of St. Paul in Romans 8, in the face of the suffering of this life, Paul starts, as I mentioned, with the cross, as the sign of God's undeserved and undeniable favor towards us in Jesus. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors, through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because our salvation is sure and certain, we know that God loves us, and none of the suffering in this life is then a sign of his eternal displeasure. Standing then on this bedrock of our faith, we can say with, uh, with a carefree sense, by the power of God, by his grace, we can say to the troubles of this life, bring it on. What can separate me from the love of God? Nothing. Not depression or Parkinson's or the sick child or the sick parent or even the stress of the Christmas season. Nothing can separate me from the love of God. If God loves you and me as we are in Jesus, and he does, and nothing can change that, then we can say bring it on, and I would say we could even croon with Dean Martin. Let it snow. (laughs) Bring on the troubles. Jesus is my Savior. Bring on the troubles. God loves me. Bring on the troubles. I have received God's undeserved merit, and nothing can change that. Bring it on. Let it snow. Let it snow. Let it snow. And so I've changed the words. Forgive me for changing Dean Martin's words. They're not his words. They're someone else's. Oh, the troubles in this life are frightful, but the love of God delightful. Since we know where we'll go, Let it snow, let it snow, let it snow. Let's 
pray really quickly. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your great love for us. And Lord, even as we go out from here, would you send us forth with uh, your blessing upon us, that assurance of your great love for us. Um, Give us grace. Strengthen us from the inside. Minister to us from the outside. Strengthen us. Let us stand and face whatever it is we face with your blessing upon us. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. And if you'd like to sign up, please find Shannon Lizenby has a sign up for um, the Christmas Bazaar on Monday and the Christmas Eve dinner on Christmas Eve. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.